Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf Tezayin. I'm going to go from right at the top, Misha Nigna Zaharon, that's uh, 16a. Um, today's Shizli Ilun Ishmael, Ben Siyom, Ben Ze'ev, Avram Halevi. And, sorry, let me just check quickly. Matisyao Mordechai Ben Yosef. May their memories be a blessing and may their neshamas have an aliyah. Um, today is Hayom Tisha Yomim, Shem Shavu Echad, Vayom Echad, Shem Shavu Echad, or Shnei Yomim Ba'omer. So we, carry, we mentioned the Aaron, we came on to that, we were discussing the, in the base Amigdash and that it was hidden. Yesterday we brought three opinions in, well, was it hidden, was it taken into Babel, where is the Aaron? Um, an interesting discussion, not going to go into it now, but that pops up is, can you do the temple service without the Aaron there? And that would be those opinions that lean. The one opinion seems to say it has to have been buried under the Kodesh HaKadoshim, under the Holy of Holies, is because if it's not there, then they couldn't do that. Then the temple has no Kadush and they couldn't do temple service. Um, and that's why, um, that's why it was specifically built to be that there was a hidden chamber under the actual Kodesh HaKadoshim. Whereas the other opinion seems to hold that maybe as long as it's in the base of Midash, or the other opinion holds if it's not there, well then you can still do the Avoida without it. Okay, <coughs> carrying on um, from where we are to, so it says, Mishendignaz Aaron, when the Aaron was hidden, or buried, Nignazu imot sanzenes haman v'sachluchi shemen ha-mishcha u-maklos shel Aaron u-porchov u-shkeitov. Hidden with it was the jar of man, the flask of oil of the anointing oil, and the staff of Aaron with its flowers and almonds. The ergos sheishivu plishtim osham lelokei Yisrael, and the box which the plishtim returned as their guilt offering to the God of the Jews. Me, what, so what are all those things? So firstly we know that Hashem told Moshe to put away the man. It was... I think it's, a, it's an important message that we've got to always remember that our food comes from Shemayim. Not always so straightforward for us to see when we walk to the fridge and we see our food there. But it's something we've got to keep in mind, just like the man. So that Hashem told Moshe to keep a flask. Um, that's actually what happened in the times of Yirmiyahu. The Jew, he told them to go learn Torah and they said, how can we learn Torah? We need to make a living. So he said, don't worry, Hashem can make sure you, you make a living without a problem. And he brought out this flask of man. Okay, but there was this flask of man, an Omer of man. There was also a flask of Shemin Amishra. We're going to discuss the Shemin Amishra, the anointing oil that Moshe made. That was also hidden. Moshe made a, uh, the Shemin Amishra, and that was used for all the purposes. It was used to anoint the Mishkan, it was used to anoint, and the Kalim of the Mishkan, it was used to anoint Aaron and any subsequent Kohen Godel. And we're actually going to find it was even used. It is not so clear what the source is. It was also used to anoint the kings of the house of Yehuda. Um, so, the, so, so that's the Shem and Amishra that was also hidden. Umi Gonzo, who hid them? Oh, and the, sorry, two more things. The Makloshel Aaron, when Aaron had a fight, remember Korach rebelled against Hashem, rebelled against Aaron and Mo- Moshe and Aaron, and Hashem, and after their rebellion came to an end, the ground swallowed the instigators up. Um, there Hashem said, I want to prove that I've chosen Aaron. So he said, or Hashem told them, prove it. So all the tribes sent forward someone who sent a staff into the base of Middash, a regular walking stick, and Aaron's beautiful, Aaron's staff blossomed and almonds grew on it, etc. So that was a sign that, that, that his was the one. Oh, Hashem, it's the one that flowers is the one that he chose. So Aaron was the coin Godel, and Hashem, it wasn't because he was Moshe's brother. It was because he deserved it. Um, because Hashem chose him. And then the last thing was the Argos Yeshiva Plishtim. We learned, we mentioned yesterday that the Plishtim captured the Aaron in a war with the Jews. And wherever the Aaron went in the Plishti lands, they put it in Gas and it caused wreaked, wreaked havoc there. Um, the um, Plishtim died, it caused panic, it caused. Uh, hemorrhoids uh, uh, struck everyone, so they moved it to another city, etc., and then they decided we better return it. And they decided they better return it with a guilt offering, and their guilt offering was golden hemorrhoids and golden mass, the two things that affected them the worst by the Aaron, so that was put in this box, and since I guess it was a donation to Hashem, it was put 
it was kept next to the iron and it was also hidden. Who hid them? Me Gonzo. Yoshiahu Gonzo. Yoshiahu hid them. Kivan Sherosha Kosov, since he saw written in the Torah. You know, this is the story of Yoshiahu, the Jews. His father, Amon, I think it was Amon, and his grandfather, Achav, were of the most evil kings. And basically, they got the whole of Bnei Israel to serve Avodah Zorah to the degree that um, learning Torah was... They didn't really have Sifrei Torah. It wasn't common to learn Torah. And they found the Torah in the base of Migdash. Um, discussion which one it was. Was it the one in the Aaron? Was it another one? But oh, the, the Torah was rolled to the Pasuk. Yolich Hashem Oizcho, Hashem will lead you ve'es malkecho and your king, Asher Tokim Olecho, which you will establish for yourself. El Goy Asher Lo Yodato Vavosecho, a nation that you and your forefathers have not known about. I that uh, will turn out to be Babel. So he saw that this prophecy, and it happened with his descendant, I think it was uh, 20 to 30 years later, the exile happened, but he saw this prophecy, so he, and he hid the Aaron, because it's written, he said to the Levim who were wise and to the holy Jews, who were holy to Hashem, place there Aaron, the holy Aaron in the house which Shlomo built, Melech Yisrael, who was the king of the Jews, because you know further, you're not going to carry it on your shoulders any further. It was the Levim's task to move the Aaron around, etc. And he was saying that don't, um, what, what does it mean? Why doesn't it just say, hide it under the house of Hashem or hide it, uh, put it in the base of Midash? It was already in the base of Midash. What he was telling them was there was a special house, a special area that Shlomo built. Shlomo, through prophecy, saw that there would be a destruction and he dug secret tunnels under the base of Midash and that's or secret chambers. And that's where um, Yoshia was telling the holy Jews who knew of these secrets and would keep the secret to hide the Aaron. There. So if you end up taking the Aaron with you into Babel, it's not going to come back. Do the service for Hashem, your God, and for His nation, Yisrael. And yeah, it seems maybe the everyone knew they knew that the Aaron was so special. The other nations actually attributed almost the Aaron to our to be our idol, our God. Um, so therefore, the Babylonians, even if, they, and we know that they did it after a seventy, about seventy years, and just after the story of Mordechai and Esther, they let the Jews go back to Eretz Israel. But he said that seems to be say that the Aaron they would never have left go, let, uh, let go, and let it end up back in Jerusalem. Okay, now we mentioned the the Shemen Amishcha is one of the things that were hidden with the Aaron, this anointing oil that Moshe made. So now we're going to go into it a bit. It says, The making of the Shemen HaKatoros. I don't remember. I don't know what the right word is. Brewing of the of the Shemen HaMishnah, the anointing oil. Um, what's the right word for making a, a fragrant anointing oil? But that would be the perfuming. I don't know. But what does it say? It's, it's, it just quotes the Pasuk um, and just the main points. But basically, the ingredients for the Shemina Mishcha came up to 1,500 money. Um that's 1,500 shkalim, a huge amount. If I remember correctly, it was, I wrote it down somewhere. We'll have to look over the page. Um, but it was a huge amount of spices, 1,500 shkalim of these spices. I mean, interestingly enough, a lot of these, the, these gemorahs that we're doing now overlap with sugyas in the bavli. But there's a bit of discussion. If you analyze them, it looks like they argue. Like if you look in our, in the, the Yerushalmi, the Shkolim that we're learning now, it seems as if the one spice was only 250, where Mone, um, whereas if you look in the Bavli, it was two parts of 250, so closer to, so actually a bit over 500. So there are actually, if you analyze them, there's Machloikas between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi in the, some of these. We're also going to see in the Luchos. The size of the Luchos also seems to be a Machloikes, Bavli and Yerushalmi, but we'll see more about the Luchos a bit later. So regarding these, um, there were 
it came to 1,500 money. So it's Shemen Zayis Hin, and the oil, the olive oil was one hin. It was one um, lug of, 12 lug of oil that they soaked the roots in. That's according to Rebbe Meir. Now again, why do they soak? You take the oil, you put all the spices in, you so, sorry, cook it. You cook it all together, and then the oil becomes the special anointing oil as it draws all the flavor and the fragrances from the spices. So that was the idea. But um Yehuda says, Shalkin Hoyobamayim, they would first boil all the spices in water, and then smeared the oil over them. And then when it absorbed the fragrance, they would remove it, extract all the oil like the perfumers do. As the Pesach says, it must be Shemen Mishas Kodesh, the work of a perfumer. Um, Sorry. Um, um, so that's the, those are the two opinions. Again, there's Rabbi Meir who says that they boiled the spices and the ingredients in the oil. And the other opinion is they, uh, Rabbi Yehuda holds, they boiled it and then smeared it over. Tony Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Eli. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Eli taught, Shemen HaMishcha She'osam Moshe Pemidbar, the Shemen HaMishcha that Moshe made in the desert, Rebbe Yehuda taught the Shemen Amishcha that Moshe made in the desert. Ah, this is the Shemen Amishcha, this anointing oil that we're discussing. It was actually miraculous. This that he managed to make it was miraculous from beginning to end. And now we're going to go through the list of miracles. He says, At first, as we said, there was only 12 lug of oil. How do we know that a hin, um, the commentary I have says, how do we know that a hin is thing? Because as we'll see, it says, Yud Bey's... Um, Says the Shemen Amishka will be for all generations. Ze, uh, the word Ze, this Shemen Mishka will be for me. This oil will be, and Ze is the gematria of 12. So, look, it was only 12 look, which is about 3.6 liters. Okay, so it's about 3.6 liters of oil. Well, yeah, sorry. Um, and, yeah, I wrote it here. The number, 1,500 shkolim, I said the, the weight of all the ingredients of the Shemina Mishcha, that the oil was supposed to draw its fragrance from, was about 23 kilograms. So you have a jar of oil... For 23 kilograms of spices and uh, different things that give fragrance, etc. So, you're never really going to be able to cook the vegetables in the oil. And that's what it goes on to say. It Never mind, there's not enough oil to smear it around all the spices, the roots that were used for the, uh, the ingredients. And not only that, when you boil something, the fire causes some to burn up, I guess, as in evaporation, and some gets burnt. And and the wood absorbed some of the spice, and the pot absorbed some of it. And from it, from this anointing oil, that first it would have been impossible. Theoretically, it's a miracle that it was even made. Because there was not enough oil to even boil the, the roots, the, 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 the spices, the ingredients in. And never mind, so never mind that he managed to boil it and get the fragrance into the oil. Not only that, he says, 
they were able to anoint the Mishkan and all its vessels, the Shulchan and all its vessels, the Menorah and all its vessels. And he anointed with this anointing oil Aaron and his sons all seven days of the inauguration. And from also they used it to anoint all the Kohanim Gedolim and the kings. And now we just take a side point. Melech betchilatoyim meshicha. A new king needs anointment. Melech ben Melech ben Melech ain't toyim meshicha. A king, the son of a king, does not need meshicha. But my timer. What's the reason? Kum moshchel kizehu. But David Amelech it says anoint him because this is him. It's telling us that him, David Amelech, needs anointing, but not his son. Okay, well, that's a side point of who gets anointed. But a coin godal, the son of a coin godal, even if he's the son of a coin godal, the son of a coin godal, after 10 generations, etc., he never needs, an, he always needs anointing. So that's it. So this is, again, this one hin of oil that Moshe made was used for anointing the Mishkan and all the Kalim and the Menorah and the Shulchan, etc. And all the Kohanim Gedolim and the future Kohanim Gedolim and the kings. And what and what's the miracle that it ends off? The Kula Kaim La'atid Lava. And it all lasted. I, every time you measured the anointing oil, there was 12 look of anointed oil. Ha'hodil Siv. Hadohu Dirsiv, as it's written, Shemen Mishcha Kodesh Yeh, Zeh Li Ledoraseichem. The Shemen, the Holy Shemen Mish, this Holy Shemen Mishcha anointing oil will be for me for all generations. And again, Zeh, as I mentioned, is a gematria of 12. So this, this anointing oil, this 12 Lugin, will last forever. So that's the miracle um, of the Shemen Amish. Again, this is all in the opinion of Rabbi Meir. And, uh, yeah, the Bavli elaborates a bit, but as we said in short, firstly, to make the Shemin Amish was a huge miracle. It's like taking a tiny drop of oil, smearing it over your vegetables and expecting them to uh, cook in it. It doesn't work like that. The oil gets absorbed, some gets absorbed on the pot. You can never have that. And then, but nevertheless, it's still boiled, it got the fragrance, and even through all its uses throughout history, it remained 12 lug. Now we're going to discuss the anointing of kings a bit further. He says, We only anoint a king, the son of a king, when there's a machloikas. I Generally, a king, let's say, so David HaMelech got anointed. Strictly speaking, his son, who was going to rule in his place, Shlomo, should not have been anointed because a king, the son of a king, doesn't get a new anointment. And that's how it happened mostly through history, but we're going to see all questions. Oh, Mipnei Manimshach. Shlomo. Well, then, why was Shlomo Hamelech anointed? If David Hamelech was already anointed, why was Shlomo Hamelech anointed? Because of the Machloikes with Adoniyahu. Adoniyahu felt was another one of David's sons, and he felt he should be king. So he was rebelling against what, Ash, what David Hamelech and Shlomo and Hashem decided that Shlomo would be king. So Shlomo had to be anointed again. Yoash Mimnei Ataliyahu. Yoash had to be anointed because of Ataliyahu. Ataliyahu was, I think, his, I don't know, his aunt. And she had gone to try kill every male so she could remain king. But Yoash was hidden. But again, because she undermined his kingship, his right to the throne, he had to be anointed again. Yoachos Mimnei Yoachim Achim Shoyakadam Imenabesh. And Yehoyakim were both sons of Yoshiyahu. Yoshiyahu was the king we learned about that hid the Aaron Kodesh. Keep that in mind. But his two sons, Yehoyachos and Yehoyakim, were... Um, And Yehoyachos was going to be king, but Yehoyachim, his brother, was two years older. So many felt that he should be king, so therefore he was anointed. And Yehu, Mibnei Yoram. And Yehu was anointed by Elisha because of Yoram. Yoram ben Achav was the king. He, Hashem told Elisha to anoint Yehu to go wipe out the family of Achav. If I remember correctly, I think that's the story. But Yehu was a new king. That's why he, oh, yeah, he was. Uh, yeah, Yehu had to be anointed also because there was a question of who should be king. So interesting when there's no fight 
as to who should be the next ruler, what's it, the accession to the throne, that throne, then his um um Um, so when there's no question as to who should be next king, you don't have to re-anoint the son. The son, I guess, draws from his father's Yerusha. Um, but when there is a question, when there's a machloik as who should really be the next king, then there is. Now we're going to ask a question on this. Says Lokhain Ksiv, is it not written Kumashkeukizehu? Get up and anoint him because this is him. I anoint David Amelech because he's the one Zeton to Udin Only the kings of Yehuda get anointed and not Malcha Yisrael. Now, if that's the case, why was Yehu anointed? Remember after Shlomo, the kingdom split into the what was called the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Yehuda. It was the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Yehuda, was Yehuda and Binyamin. And you don't anoint the kings of Israel. You only anoint the Malchai Yehuda, the kings from Yehuda. So that's one question. If that's the case, why was Yehu anointed? Yehu was a king in Yisrael. Says, and further, another question is, We said Yehoyachos was anointed because of his brother, Yehoyachim, who was two years older than him. But didn't we just learn that Yoshiyahu hid the anointing oil? Remember, we started off today's daf that there was a whole list of things hidden by Yoshiyahu. And one of the things hidden by Yoshiyahu was the anointing oil. So how could his son, Yehoyachaz, be anointed with anointing oil that was hidden? So the Gemara says, Hara Amra, this tells us, they were anointed with Afarsamum, another type of oil. These, the kings of Israel who got anointed, and Yehoyachaz, who was anointed after the anointing oil was already hidden, were anointed with another type of oil, not the special Shemina Mishra. Um, and it's important to note, none of the Kwanim Gedolim had, um, in the time of the Second Temple, were, uh, were Meshuchin, were Kwanim Mashiach Hashem, were Kohanim anointed by Hashem, because the anointing oil had been hidden. The Kwanim Gedolim, in, uh, in the times of the Second Temple, they got their Kedusha from putting on their special clothes, that gave them the Kedusha, to the, the, the ability that anointed them into their service, but they weren't Kohanim Gedolim, anointed with the anointing oil. Then we say, Kings must be anointed from a horn. Shaul v'yehu nimshuchu mina pachoiso. Shaul and Nim and Yehu were anointed from a flask or a jar. Malchuson, Malchus Oiveres, and theirs was a temporary kingship. David and Shlomo were anointed from a keren, a horn. Malchuson, Malchus Kayemes, and their kingship was forever. Um, so it's special to use a horn. Remember, a horn, a keren, a horn is very strong, very unlikely to break, and it represents an represents an eternal anointing whereas a flask which very easily breaks does not represent an eternal anointing you cannot anoint a kohen to be a king and we're going to bring two different sources for that Omar Rebbe Yehuda Rebbe Yehuda said Antunidra sorry that's Rebbe Yehuda Antunidra said Al shame based on the Pasuk the scepter will never leave Yehuda and Omar Rabbi Chibar Adar Rabbi Chibar Adar gives a different source. It says, "Remind your Rish Yomim Amalchuso who born of the care of Yisrael, in order to lengthen his kingship over Yisrael." Matzib Basrei Lo Yelo Kohanim Alevim, and it shall not be the Kohanim and the Levim. So we've got two different psukim, um, two different psukim as to what's the source that you can't anoint a Kohen as a. Um, a kohen as a king. Interesting enough, you can anoint a kohen with an anointing oil as a kohen godel, but you can't anoint him as a king. And the commentaries point out um, that there's a difference in the two psukim in the actual halacha. Um, the first pasuk, 
is that which says Lo Yosu the scepter may never leave Yehuda is basically telling us you never allow to anoint anyone else from another tribe from a king. And if someone from another tribe is going to lead B'nai Israel, they don't have the status of the king, they have the status of a shofate, a ruler. You can go into what the exact difference is, a shofate, a ruler. Um, that's what he brings. Um, oh, so then why does the Pasuk, why does the Gomorrah specifically mention you can't anoint a Kohen as a king? Because that's a greater chidush. You really can't anoint anyone from any of the tribes as a king. Again, because the Pasuk says, the scepter will never leave Yehuda. But it mentions Kohanim because Kohanim do get anointed. They get anointed as a Kohen Kodol, but not as a king. So that's, uh, that's, one, that's the, that way of learning. The second person, the second Drosha, he actually learns differently. He says, even though Minadin, you can have a king from another tribe, that's anyone except a Kohen and a Levi. So he actually, the second opinion holds, in certain cases, you can have a king from another tribe, and that would fit in very well with Shaul. You have to discuss, well, how was Shaul anointed? He wasn't from the tribe of Yehuda. So someone who say that some of these psukim only started from David HaMelech, from once the king was anointed in Yehuda, but others, the second Roshah, fits very easily, is no, you can have a king from another tribe, it won't be a permanent king, but you can have a king from another tribe, just not the tribe of Levi and Yehuda. And again, that fits in very well with this psukim, because he says um, it, it will be in order that is when it, it speaks about kings, and it says that he will be him and his sons will be on the throne amongst Israel. And then the next verse, he makes a Joshua, but not the Kohanim and Levim. Specifically, Kohanim and Levim can't be kings, but other tribes can be kings. So that's interesting. Based on the two psukim that they learn it from, you come out totally different. Can someone from the tribe of Binyamin, can someone from the tribe of uh, Dan, can someone from the tribe of Ruvain be a king? According to the first possible, no. He would have the status of a ruler or a judge or police but he wouldn't have the status of a king and according to the second pasuk he could just not Kohanim and Levim ok let's carry on Omer Rabbi Yochanan Rabbi Yochanan says Hu Yochanan Hu Yochanan um, this Rabbi Yochanan says that we just mentioned earlier Yochanan the son of Yochanan he says that's also Yochanan he says but the pasuk says that the eldest was Yochanan and we know that um, Yehoyachos was actually even younger than Yehoyakim. So he says, so he says, so he says, no, Bechor Lamalchus. It means he was the first king. I basically, Yehoshiyahu, the king, four of his descendants, three of his sons, and one of his grandchildren became king. So this is, so, so it's telling us that you, when it says Yehoyakim, that Yahyachaz was the firstborn. It doesn't mean the firstborn, it just means he was the first to be king. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, who Shulam who Tzidkiyahu, and Shulam and Tzidkiyahu are the same king. Vahok Siv HaGimur Tzidkiyahu Varivi Shalom. Doesn't it say that Yahyachaz's third son was Tzidkiyahu and his fourth son was Shalom? So we see that they're two different people. He says, no, Gimur told us, Dalet Lamalchios. He was the third eldest of his sons, but he was the fourth to be king. I, it went, I don't remember the exact order. Let me see if I have it here. Yeah, first Yehoyachos reigned. Then Yehoyachim, his older brother, reigned. After Yehoyachin, um, after Yehoyachim, Yehoyachin, his son reigned, and then it went back to Tzidkiyahu. So Tzidkiyahu was the fourth descendant of Rebbe, of, of Yoshiao to rule. Tzidkiyahu, why was he called Tzidkiyahu? Tzidek, all of Miras Hadin, he accepted Miras Hadin. All his children were killed, he was blinded. But Nebuchadnezzar, and he still justified Hashem's judgment. Shalom, Shebiyom of Shoma Shalma, Malchus based David, because he was the last king from the house of David until the future when Mashiach comes. Loi Shalom, Haveshmei, 
ולא צדקיהו הווה ישמעי, אלא מתניה, מתניה, He says, no, his name wasn't Shalom and his name wasn't Sidkiyahu, his name was Matanya, Hodo who deceived as it's written by Yimloch Melech Bavel, Es Matanya Doido Tachtov, Yisvav Yeshemot Sidkiyahu, and he changed his name to Tidkiyahu. Okay, that's a bit of a discussion there, um, whose name was who, but again we see Tidkiyahu, it wasn't necessarily his real name, but he had the name Tidkiyahu for accepting Hashem's justice. Um, again, that's a big thing. It's very hard for us to accept uh, our personal suffering. And he suffered a lot. All his children were killed in front of him, etc. And he still justified Hashem. Hashem. Omri Biochran. Yeah, let's... Now we're going back to discuss the Aaron. Um, and we're going to discuss the Luchos that were kept in the Aaron. So he says, Omri Biochran, Biochran says that the Amr, that the Amr used to measure the Aaron, was six, um, was six Tvachim. We're actually going to see it some Machlokas, but remember, this is an Amma from your elbow or the inside of your elbow to the tip of your fingers. But there's actually three, two or three sizes of Amma. The one we're going to discuss is a six Tefach Amma. So a Tefach is your, fing, your fist, um, the width of your fist. And six Tefach, so six Tefach is the one size Amma and a five Tefach, and you also get a small Amma a five tefach amma. So he says, "Man tana ba'amma shel shisha tefachim." Who's the tana who holds that there's a six te- for the six tefach amma? Rabbi Meir he does not. Rabbi Meir, as we learned in the Mishnah, Rabbi Meir Omei kol ha'amos hoyu beinoynis. All the amos were regular amos. Rabbi Yehuda Omer amos habinyan shisha kol akelim chamisha. Rabbi Yehuda says, "No, the amos measuring the building of the Mishkan were." Six Amos, but the Amos measuring the Kalim, the utensils of the Mishkan, were five. Now, according to Rabbi Meir, who said that the Aaron was an Amor of six Tvachim, the length of the Aaron was fifteen Tvachim. As it's written, to, it's the length of the Aaron will be two and a half Amos. Now, Amosa Ashisov, Amosa Ashisov, so the first Amo is six Tvachim, the second Amo is six Tvachim, Upalgus Amosa, and the half Amo plus is three Tvachim. What's six, six, and three? Fifteen. Va'arbo Luchos Hoyubo. And the four Luchos were placed in the Aaron. Shnaim Shleimim, Vishnaim Shmurim, the two full Luchos and the two broken Luchos. Tirsiv, as it's written, Asheshi Bartov, Asamta Ba'aron, the ones which you broke and you placed them in the Aaron. Haluchos, Hoyu, Kol, Echod, Ve'echod, Orcho, Vav Tvachim, Roch, Vosholosh. And each, luch, each of the Luchos was six Tefach long and three Tefach wide. So it was six Tefach long, approximately. Um, what's it? It's 50 centimeters and three tefach wide. That's the size of each of the each of the luchos. Says v'sein orchon shel luchos la'orchos shel aron and place the length of the luchos corresponding to the. Or yeah, I don't know. I, I thought this was along the length of the aron, but art scrolls seem to say perpendicular to the length of the aron. Nishtayer shom gimel tefachim. And you have three Tvachim left. Because again, four Luchos lined up along their width of three Tvachim. So four threes is twelve. So they're three Tvachim. What do you do? It says, So each wall was half a, cent, half a Tvach thick. So Nishtayer Shnei Tvachim. There are two Tvachim left. What was that? The Sefer Torah for the Sefer Torah. So again, you had... I'm just going with art scroll because I have a feeling that's the pictures most of you are using. Um, you have the four luchos lined up next to each other. That's 12 tvachim. And one of the tefachs were used up by the wall on either side. And the last two tefachs they put in the Sefer Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote. It says, Aaron The width of the Aaron was nine for him to see as it's written in the Chumash, Amo v'chaytzi roch ba'amoso ha'shiso pa'vaso amo etloso. And that's because, so we know that the width is an amma and a half, and amma is six, half amma is three for him. So that is 
Nan, the Arba Luchos, how you buy Shnaim, Shlaimim, Vishnaim, Shivurim, the four Luchos were placed in the two whole ones and the two half ones. Dirsib as it's written, Asheshi Bartov, Asamta, Baron Aluchos, which you broke and you'll place into the Aron Aluchos. How you call Echod, Echod, Orchon, Shishet Vachim, Verochbon, Shloshet Vachim. We know each Luchos was six Vachim long and three Vachim wide. Tain Rochvon shall Luchos, Lerochvon shall Aron. Put the width of the luchos perpendicular to the width of the aron. Nishtayer shom shloisha tvochim, and you have three tvochim. Chazi tefach mikan lekoisel ze, vechazi tefach mikan lekoisel ze. Half a tefach from this koisel, and half a tefach from sorry, half a tefach for this wall, half a tefach for that wall. Either walls were half a tefach thick. So again, because remember three. Um, Um, so what you have the three and the three which is six so you have nine left you take away two and you have uh, one tefach left and and you have two tefachim so you have a tefach on either side that you can take the sefer Torah in and out so there's a little bit of gap that's according to Rabbi Yehuda how the Aaron was fitted so again you have the the Sefer Torah and the Luchos all in a row fitting snug. And then on either side of them you have a Tefach, which is enough to reach your hand in to the Aaron and take out the Sefer Torah. Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish, I mean Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish says, Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish says that the Amma was a five Tefach Amma. Man Tanah ba'Amma bas chamisha tefachim Rabbi Yehuda. Tatanin and Taman Rabbi Yehuda Omer. Rabbi Yehuda says that the Aaron of the building, sorry, so the previous one was Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Meir, this is all Rach Lokish and Rabbi Yehuda. The Amma used to measure the building part of the Mishkan was a six tefach Amma, but the Kalim, the portable part, which the Aaron was portable, was a five tefach. So now we're going to have to translate this all into how it fitted. So he says, Al date de Rabbi Yehuda do Amma be'amma shel chamishet fachim. According to Rabbi Yehuda, who said that the Amma, what that it was a five tefach Amma, hoya orcha also shneimos or tefach umechza. The length of the Aaron was twelve and a half tefachim. Tirsiv, as it's written, amosayim bechetzi orcha. The length of the Aaron was two and a half Amma. So amosa one Amma is chamisha, but amosa the second Amma is chamisha. Upalka amosa treupalka, and half a Amma, half of five and a half is two and a half. So that's how you end up. With your um, twelve and a half, um, twelve and a half length. It says v'dalad luchos hoyu b'shnaim shleimim v'shnaim shivurim, and the four luchos were the four luchos, the two whole ones and the two half broken ones. These were placed in the aron. These siv asheshi b'artov v'samtam b'aron. Also, the ones which you broke, you placed in the aron. V'aluchos hoyu kol echod ve'echod orchoshish etvachim ve'rochmam shloish etvachim. Its length was six etvachim, and its width was. Three tefachim, ten orkon shel luchos la orkos shel aron minishtay shom chazi tefach etzbe lekoisel mikan ve etzbe lekoisel mikan. So the length um, you place the length perpendicular to the length, and you end up with half a tefach. Sorry, minishtay shom yeah half a tefach etzbe lekoisel mikan ve etzbe lekoisel mikan half. Because again, six um three is twelve. Remember we said what's the Length of the entire Aaron according to this version, 12 and a half. You split that half for each of the walls. So the Luchos fit snugly along the length of the Aaron. Then Rochboshel Aaron Shivat Vachim Umerza. The width of the Aaron was seven and a half Vachim. Tixiv as it's written, Amavachati Rochbo. It was one and a half Amos along its width. Says Amosa Chamisho Palgoso Amosa Treupolig. An Amma is five Tvachim and half Amma is two and a half Tvachim. So that's seven and a half. Oh, the Dalit Luchos Hoyabo Shlaim Shlaimim Vishlaim Shvurim. Four Luchos were placed in the Aaron, the two whole and the two half ones. Tixiv as it's written, Shibarto Ashe Shibarto Vasamta Baaron, the ones which you break, um, and you placed in the Aaron. Hoyokol Echod Ve Echod. Orchon Shlisha, Orchon Shisha Tvachim, Verochbon Shisha Tvachim. Or maybe it should be Shosha. The length and the breadth of, the, of each one was, it was three by six by three Tvachim. Ten Rochbon, the Rochbon placed the width perpendicular to the Aaron, Vinish Taishom, Tepach Umerza, and you end up with a Tepach and a half.
so that you could get the luchos in and out. So according to him, according to Reish Lokish, in the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda, the luchos fit along the length of the Aaron, they fit snug, and along the width of the Aaron, there was just a little place left to stick your hands in if you had to get the luchos in or out. Um, interesting, just one interesting thing, according to our, the Yerushalmi, it seems that the Luchos were six Tvachim by three Tvachim. Each of the two Luchos, well, there were four Luchos, two whole and two broken, were each six Tvachim by three Tvachim. According to the Bavli, if you look in Baba Basra, where it discusses, has a very similar sugya, it uh, actually says that they were... 20, it actually says that they were 6 by 6. The Luchos were square. So again, another subtle Machloikas that pops up between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi. Now, we're going to go back to and discuss a little bit of the design of the Aaron. So we've discussed how the Luchos... Oh, and what would, he, what would they have done with the Sefer Torah? Again, according to Rabbi Yochanan, the Sefer Torah was put in the... Aaron next to the Luchos. But according to Reish Lokish, there's no space for the Sefer Torah in the Aaron. So that was actually put on a box or on a stand in the Kodesh HaKadoshim next to the Aaron. Now we're going to go, Kate also Vitalis Aaron. How did how was the Aaron made? So Rebbe Hanina, Omar Shloisha Tevas Osu, Rebbe Hanina says it was three boxes. Stayim Sil Zohov, Ba'acha Shel Eitz. One of gold, two of gold, and one of wood. You put the gold into the wood and then the wood into the gold. And it covers it. You'll cover it in gold inside and out. What's the Torah using this word? Cover it. So that there was an upper room. Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish, there's no, it was one box that was gold plated. As it's written, you must cover it in gold from inside and outside. That sounds like gold plated. What does it say? To say you put the gold even between two planks. I remember if you're going to say that the iron was made of wood, where the wooden planks join, there'll be a little gap. So you have to fill that with gold so that it looks smooth, looks like it's completely covered. And let me just actually show you a picture quickly of the iron. Um, this is the three-box iron. It will just be easier to know what we're talking about. Um, and you can see, so there's a, the gold one, and a wooden one, and a gold one. And on the gold one, I don't know if you can see, there's a r- the, the inner gold one, there's a rim on the top. So when they were all put one in the other, the rim at the top covered the wood. So the wooden box was completely, completely covered in gold. That's according to the first opinion, um, Rebbe Hanina. But according to Rebbe Shimon Men Lakish, it was gold plated. It was in three boxes, one with in the other. How were the luchos written? Says Rabbi Hanina. Now this is fascinating. We always assume how would, how do you know how the luchos are written? How uh, how are the how are the Aseris Hadibros, the Ten Commandments, split amongst the luchos? How have we always learned? This is the first time I've seen that. It's not exactly how we always learned. How did we always understand it? That there are five on one one of the luchos and five on the other luchos. Ten. The first five on the one, and five, so Rabbi Hanina ben Gamil Amir Hamisha Luach Zeh Vachamisha Luach Zeh. Or Rabbi Hanina ben Gamil says it was five on this Luach and five on that Luach. Hahu Dirsiv Yichtem Al Shnei Luchos Abanim. As it says, you will write them, you will write the ten commandments on the on the two Luchos. So five on each. Chamus Al Luchos Zeh Vachamisha Al Luach Zeh. Second opinion. Barabon and Omri Asora Al Luchos Zeh Vasora Al Luach Zeh. No, it was ten on the ten commandments on this Luach and the ten commandments repeated on the second Luach. Hahu Dirsiv. As it says, by Yegei Lochem is Brisa Asher Tzivoy Eschem Asois Aseres Hadvorim Asora Luachzev Asora Luachzev. You will write these ten things down. I Asora on this Luach and ten on this Luach and ten on that Luach. Um. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai, a third opinion. Rabbi Shimon ben Yochai says, Oimeri says, Esrim al Luach Esrim al Luach It was actually 20 commandments written on this Luach and 20 commandments on the second Luach. Uh, you had the 
between the two luchos, between the luchos, you had the Ten Commandments written four times, twice on each of them. Where does he get that from? As it's written, you will write them, either sets in plural, two sets of the Ten Commandments on the two stones. So you write the Ten Commandments twice on each of the luach. But Arboim, Rebbe, and a fourth opinion, Rebbe Sima Omer, Rebbe Sima says, you will write it with 40, you write the Four sets of the Ten Commandments on in Luach. So the Luach, each of the Luchos had 40 commandments on them. The 40 where? As it says, From this one and that one they were written. Tetroga. That means um, quadrupled. And according to this, I mean, there are various ways of understanding. Was it four all on the front or two on the front and two in the back? But I think one of the nicest ways to understand it is, remember the, it was a thick stone the luch, each luach, so you had it on the front, the side, the back, and the other side. You had the, the Ten Commandments, so you had each of the Ten Commandments four times on each luach, um, to a total of 80. Um, so those are the four different, four different opinions of how the luchos were laid. Um, I wonder, we get our tradition that they're five on five, and when you look in shul and they always have the luchos, it's always written five and five, and there are many droshes you hear in sh- on Shabbos, when it's, when it's the giving of the Torah and the luchos, that uh, about the significance of which ones are on which side, but it's actually a four-way machloikas, how the Ten Commandments were written on the luchos. Hananya ben Achai Rebbe Shaya, Oimer, Hananya, the nephew of Rebbe, Sh- Rebbe Yehoshua, Said, between each of the luchos, the details of the Torah were written. as the pasuk says, filled like Tarshish, like the Tarshish ocean, like the Great Sea. Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish, when Rabbi Lokish would reach this pasuk, he would explain. The nephew of Rabbi Yoshua explained it well. He says, Just as you know, with the sea, between each waves, there are lots of little waves. Between each of the main Ten Commandments, were the details of the Torah. Now, interesting, there are different opinions, but the one opinion is we know that the the Ten Commandments, all 613 mitzvahs could be learnt out from the Ten Commandments. So the one opinion is that you'd have the Ten Commandments in big, the one Ten Commandment, and under it you would have all the other mitzvahs that were connected to that of the Ten Commandments. And then you'd have the Second Commandment in big, and between that and the next commandment, you'd have all the mitzvahs connected to that. So that if you had all 613 mitzvahs written on the luchos, other opinions go much further. And they say not only did you have the mitzvahs, you had the halachas, some say even had parts of the Torah Shebaal Peh, all on the luchos. Okay, let's carry on. I asked before Rabbi Pinchas. Basically, the following posuk, the following posuk seems to fit in with Rabbi Yehuda, not Rabbi Meir. My time with Rabbi Yehuda, what's the reason, source for Rabbi Yehuda, as it's written, you should take the Sefer Torah and place it in the Aaron, the covenant of Hashem. This is going back, remember we had a Machloikes on when you measure the Aaron. Do you measure it with a six tefach amma or do you measure it with a five tefach amma? If you measure it with a six tefach amma, then there's space for the Sefer Torah in the Aaron. If you measure it with a five tefach amma, then the Sefer Torah has to be put somewhere else. But this pasuk seems to say you put the Sefer Torah, mitzad Aaron. Um, what's the source for Rabbi Yehuda? Um, the, the Pesach says you'll place it mitzad Aaron bris Hashem next to the Aaron of the covenant of Hashem. He says, no, there was a box. But, and according to Rabbi Yehuda, this fits in very well with Rabbi Yehuda, who says that there was a box built and the Sefer Torah was put in the box placed next to the Aaron in the Kodesh HaKadoshim. My time at Rabbi Meir, so how can Rabbi Meir come along and tell us that the Sefer Torah was placed in the Aaron? Because again, we just saw the Pasuk which said, Aaron, Bris Hashem, you will place it next to the Aaron of Hashem. 
So Dixiv as it's written, Vonosate Esa Kaporis al Aaron, Milmala, Vel Aaron Titain Esa Edus, Asher Etaino Lecho. You'll place the lid on the Aaron, on, on the top of the Aaron, but into the Aaron you will place the Edus, the Sefer Torah which I gave to you. I'll talk to the Rebbe Meir, do Omar, Ein Mukta Mumucha Betora, Elo. This fits in very well with Rabbi Meir, who says there's no real order in the Torah, so you'd read this Pasuk as follows. You can't understand it in its normal order, because normal order sounds you put the lid on, and then you put the Sefer Torah in. You can't put the lid on first, so that's, but he holds, you can switch it around and say no. You put the Sefer Torah in and put the Aaron on top. So we have a good source for either Rabbi Yehuda, the one Pasuk says you'll place it next to the Aaron of Hashem. That fits in well with Rabbi Yehudu, who says there was no space in the Aaron for the Sefer Torah. And the other Apostle says, You'll put the Eidos, you'll put the Sefer Torah in it. That seems to fit with Rabbi Meir better. So you can look into how they each learn. But that's... Uh, that's the one where Rabbi Pinchas, B'Shem Rabbi Shimon ben Lokish, HaToyra Shenosan Lo HaKadosh Baruch Hu LeMoshe, Nosan Lo Eish Levoyna Charusa Ve'Eish Lechoyra. The Torah which Hashem gave Moshe Rabbeinu was black fire written on, so it was white fire engraved in black fire. He Eish Mevuleles, the Torah is a fire that absorbs Ba'esh Chatzuva, Ma'esh Nesuna, um, sorry, Eish, he Eish, Muvuleles Ba Eish, Chatsuva Eish, Ma Eish Nusun, and Unusuna Ma Eish. It was hewn, absorbed, and completely fire. Dirsiv mi Omenu Eish das Lamo, mi, sorry, mi Mino, from Hashem's right hand, he gave a fiery das, a fiery Torah, to his people. So that's uh, finishing off this idea with that, the concept that the Torah is. In some aspect, the Torah is fire, and we do bring that. That if you approach the Torah in the wrong way, sometimes fiery, but that's all the Torah inside of them. But obviously, there's a lot more to discuss and think about what's the significance of saying that the Torah was uh, um, white fire engraved in black fire and the significance of referring to the Torah as fire. But we'll leave it there for today um, and we'll start the new Mishnah tomorrow.